Welcome to the Experts Only podcast, sponsored by Clean Capital, where we explore the intersection of energy, innovation and finance. Our host is Clean Capital's co-founder and former Federal Chief Sustainability Officer, John Powers. Learn how Clean Capital is revolutionising clean energy finance and find more episodes at cleancapital.com, iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and leave us a five-star review. Hi, this is John Powers, and I'm the host of Clean Capital's Experts Only podcast, where we explore the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance. You can follow us at cleancapital.com. Today, we have a really exciting conversation with the CEO and founder of Arcadia Power, Kieran Batraju. Kieran has a really interesting background, which we'll talk through, but at Arcadia, they are using customer demand to disrupt the utility model and giving consumers choice in how they buy electricity. We're going to talk more about it, and you can learn more at ArcadiaPower.com. Kieran, thank you so much for joining us on Clean Capital's Expert-Only Podcast. Really excited to talk to you about some of the exciting things you've done. As we've discussed before, our podcast is a focus on the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance, and you're living at that intersection as a CEO of a tech company that's really disrupting the way Americans are buying power. But before getting into Arcadia and the amazing work you're doing, I want to step back and talk a little bit about your career. You grew up in Kentucky. You worked on Capitol Hill as a legislative director. How did all of this lead you into energy? How did it lead you into co-founding a company? Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, John. I appreciate it being here. So yeah, I did grow up in a small town in eastern Kentucky, you know, population of 6,000, not many Indian families right. in eastern Kentucky, but my dad was a physician and he came over at one point, I think he was the only surgeon doing what he did, vascular surgery for like a 150 mile radius. Wow. You know, it was actually the story has been sort of repeated all over the South and in small towns. You had immigrant doctors kind of come in and, and make lives. And my parents loved it. My mom loved the mountains. And frankly, I loved growing up there. We were one of a few Indian families in town, as you can imagine. But it was really a fascinating place to grow up. It is coal country. It's the heart of underground and then surface mining in the U.S. At one point, the county I grew up in. Did you see in, it firsthand growing up? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at one point, I was going to say the county we grew up in, in Pike County, Kentucky, had more millionaires per capita than I think like was number two, at least right behind like Wall Street. And mostly just on the backs of coal. And like we I remember in maybe like sixth grade. And this just shows you how much it is part of culture. Our high school did a or our, I guess at that point, elementary school did a, a field trip into a coal mine. Wow. Yeah. And uh, put on the hard hats, went underground. And it was fascinating. You find out like these seams that folks are working in when they're underground are really four feet tall. You're on your back. It's scary. But you realize this is the engine that sort of built the country and in a lot of ways built what was those communities in eastern Kentucky. And so from a very young age, I mean, my dad worked on black lung. Some of my friends' parents were in or around the industry it really was a lifeblood of the region. And for me, it was just this fascinating look at like, here's, I think, leaving actually the region, you realize so much more that 
this is so central to the way of life there, but outside the region, very few people even understand or can even comprehend sort of where their electricity comes from or what the human cost is to actually producing it. Yeah, I remember driving through my wife's, my wife grew up in Northwest Pennsylvania. We were driving down to yep. Washington one time and stopped in a, won't name them town, but you know, we stopped to grab lunch and the Little League baseball team showed up. You know, they were all getting their ice cream after the game and both teams sponsored by literally King Cole right yeah on the shirt i'm like that was a total eye-opener to me like you know how ingrained in the community it was yeah and i think this conversation we're having now about cole sort of misses the fact that you know i don't think people are wedded to underground mining or, or anything like that they're just wedded to a way of life and a right. paycheck and a way to support a family and and that is what coal mining was for a century and you know frankly isn't anymore right so let's talk a little bit about so you went from that to Capitol Hill. Like, what drove you there, and you know, what were some of the things you were working on there? Yeah, I actually left college early, and the congressman I worked for. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> probably a mistake. In, uh, in retrospect, should have kept that last semester before uh, real life hit. But no, it was an amazing opportunity. I was always interested in politics and policy. I mean, issues of politics were always discussed at kitchen table. I mean, my being the family of immigrants, we're the only ones here, but you're, you're just dealing with so much of sort of national politics when you're in Eastern Kentucky and then just by virtue of who we were. So I was always interested in big ideas and, and wanted to get involved in politics. And so I got this amazing opportunity to work for John Yarmouth, who was a newly elected congressman from Louisville, Kentucky, which is basically the district is just the city of Louisville. So it was a really incredible district and really incredible congressman to work for because he was brand new. So it felt like a startup. And joined him as he, you know, came in to the Hill and took on, I think what people don't realize is when you work in the House, you know, as a legislative aide, you're really taking on like the most bizarre portfolio. I did everything from like intelligence matters to like early childhood education right. to energy, right? Because there's only like, you know, so many of you on staff and there's so much to cover and you're on these different committees. But it was such an incredible education. I mean, I just loved it. To this day, it was one of my more interesting and enjoyable jobs I've had, and especially with a congressman who was amazing to work for, was there for the right reasons, and really gave us, in terms of his staff, the opportunity to work on all sorts of stuff that we wanted to work on. So when you were transitioning, like what led you to transition from the Hill? What led you to lead really narrow into an, an issue, right? Like getting into, because you worked energy efficiency first, right? You know, I think I left the Hill at a time, which is kind of odd in retrospect, because President Obama had just gotten elected and we had full control in a sense on the Democratic side. But something I saw just being there for a number of years was the impact you had if you were as a new person on Capitol Hill, whether it was the congressman or the committees you sat on, it just, it took so much time. And I sort of saw the circus <laughs> up close and personally, you know, from to where it is now, which is 10x from what I thought it was. But at the time, I just saw, you know, there was so much happening in the world of startups and your ability to have an impact through a company just seems so much more exciting and tangible. And so took the leap. And with a couple of friends, started an energy efficiency company called American Efficient. And, you know, I'll say, like, I had a bit of energy experience because I had worked on energy issues and just been on the Hill sort of meeting and, and learning a lot. But, you know, the rest of the folks who started the company with were sort of newcomers to the industry, which I think is good because you 
you come at it with new eyes and new perspectives. And so it was a really exciting time to be involved in efficiency because it was at a point where utilities and really the market in general were, were getting more excited about and interested in you know, the cheapest form of energy on the market, which is efficiency. And how did that play out? Like, How did that transition into Arcadia? You know, look, it was a three and a half, four year company. We raised venture capital. We tried a few different business models, <laughs> some that stuck, some that didn't, as any good startup does, right. and learned a ton. I mean, worked with utilities on their DSM programs, worked with retail, you know, Home Depot and Lowe's and others and sort of getting efficient products into the hands of consumers. You know, there's one thing we did that was really interesting where we actually packaged energy savings and sold them on what's called capacity markets. You know, that was one of the more interesting, I think, groundbreaking things we did as a company. And, you know, we had a good run and some of the IP we created passed on to another company and each of us sort of went our separate ways to, to work on the next thing. And so for me, stepping back from that experience, I wanted to work on something much more consumer facing. I spent a lot of time <laughs> traveling around the country, talking to utilities, understanding their goals and the pressures they have from regulators. And to me, there was just something about the fact that consumers really didn't have options. And this was the last real, I think, consumer market where that existed. Because, you know, whether it was healthcare or now you're seeing in cable or just any industry tech was touching, you were having more and more consumer options except for energy. And there were options in rooftop solar, but you know, as you and I know, very few people can actually have a south-facing roof yeah. in the state. And so that was part of the motivation, both that I just saw this huge trend in the industry orienting itself more toward what does the consumer want, not what does the utility or regulator want. On top of the fact that I thought, just personally, as someone who believes in the climate fight that we're in, the more you can get people to understand their role in it, which is through their energy bill, the most tangible thing they do each month that's affecting the climate, that you might just might be able to change the political argument as well. So I want to get back to the utility stuff in a few minutes, but with that in mind, so what led to Arcadia? How did you start it? I mean, here in Washington specifically, you know, there's a growing tech community, but it's still not, you know, it's not Silicon Valley, right? What was that process? And then, you know, in your own words, tell us more about what you're doing. So again, there were a few, and I think this is true about anyone starting a technology company, is you look at sort of the big trends in an industry and think, how can I either accelerate these or ride this wave? And what was happening in the utility world was a lot of unbundling of the old model. So utilities have franchise monopolies right. of their territories, right? Which is a fancy way of saying they basically own the consumer. And what we saw in the fintech world was you had a lot of companies that were building software that was sort of on top of the old infrastructure that is the banks and the payment flows. And so we said, okay, if there is a single consumer behavior that related to energy, that is sort of the touch point where we can affect some change, it is around that monthly power bill. So if we can build technology to couple that power bill with other products and services, we can take some of these big trends around consumer empowerment, around new products and services that are not just the commodity, but energy services writ large. And we can sort of package it all into a bill and make this service for the customer a better experience than just the local utility. And so that was the big idea. And it took a lot of sort of work 
building the technology to make this thing work. So right now, our company operates across all 50 states. We've got customers in pretty much every major utility territory in the country, and they pay their bills through us each month. So we have a really complex coordination issue that we run where we're both ingesting payments, managing energy services, and then paying out to the utilities each month across 100 utilities. And so it's a really dynamic platform where we're sort of the home energy advisor for customers in all 50 states. Utilities are they're notoriously difficult to work with, right? So it sounds like you had built up some experience in your previous role. You know, how are you finding success, you know, engaging them? How much do you actually have to engage them? You know, what are some of the lessons that you wanted to share? Because I think if you looked out across clean tech as a whole, right, there's a lot of people that will come up with the greatest toaster in the world. Yeah. But, you know, they don't have a business model and a business plan or the patience to get it out there into the market through the utilities, right? Because in many cases, that's just how it's going to play out. Yeah. For those that are like familiar with Opower, I think what they realized is a company that sort of squarely put themselves on the side of the utilities because they realized if they were going to achieve their goals, utilities are the ones who who frankly matter, right. right? They're the ones producing power, distributing it, and have these sort of monopolies. I think the one addition I would throw on that is, sure, they are both, utilities are incredibly important to our climate problems, but the other huge entity that nobody's really touched is just consumer demand. And utilities, they're a tough beast to understand. Whenever I like talk to friends in other industries about these you know, franchise monopolies that want to be regulated, that want (laughs) that rate of return and don't want anyone to mess with it. Like it's a really tough concept to understand. And I think the way we approached it was there are certain goals that the utility has, whether it's with their regulator or even their consumer that we can actually help them with, right? They don't want the consumer to be upset with them. They want new products and services to keep customers happy as do the regulators. And then on the flip side of that, we knew you know, if we could go to the consumer and sort of entice the utility by saying, hey, look, you know, here are all these customers that are want these services and want these products. Because at the end of the day, until, you know, Elon Musk builds an entirely new power grid, no one's going to take away that franchise pulls and wires monopoly. That was that basically every utility has. And so we realized early on, we're going to have to work with them. They're the network. They're the platform. And, you know, we can help solve their problems as well that they have with the customer through new services. I mean, you're really dealing with not 50 utilities for 50 states, but, you know, hundreds of utilities that are out there. As you're having these engagements with them, do you find, have you found a sort of a tipping point where you've got a lot of the big players on board and then it's just a smoother sailing? Or is it the same dealings every time where you start from square one trying to, to break into the market? The first is always the hardest. And then from there you know, in an industry where they're always looking to their, they're really tight with their peers. It was easy to sort of get a broad swath of utilities on board. And and like I said, at the end of the day, the utilities are fairly similar in their goals and their needs and the way they're regulated. So again, once you sort of make that case to one, it's fairly easy to make the case to everyone. Right. So, you know, I think when if you look up Arcadia and you check out the work they're doing, I think it's exciting to see how they're democratizing renewable energy, right? You guys are really helping to break down the current barriers. So if I'm living in a place where I can't, you know, economics of rooftop solar is not going to work, I can buy into projects or have access to wind power. So let's put on the customer hat for a second, right? I sit here in Northern Virginia. I live within Dominion Power. Why would I sign up to Arcadia? Like what's the incentive for me? 
and how disruptive is it into my day-to-day life? Yeah, it's a great question. So when you think about like Dominion, what they do really well, right, is you know the brand and they're incredibly reliable. In terms of, take them into perspective of sort of power across the world, like American utilities are, are really incredible and really reliable. The toughest thing for us to come into that relationship is frankly inertia. People pay a power bill, they pay right. it every month. It's mindless, they often don't even think about it. It's amazing when we talk to customers and we sort of let them know we have these energy services available to them that one, they even knew, you know, and this is again, back to the inertia that there was something else they could be doing, but two, that their power bill was even sort of connected to this larger cause of sustainability and climate change, which is just sort of an odd thing. Again, it's this mindless thing that, you know, you will pay each month, probably till the day you die. And so part of our challenge is the behavior change. And so we need to show customers a lot of value. And we do that in a couple of ways. So better service, entirely mobile, auto pay. We give people the option to pay by credit card, which literally no utility in America offers credit card auto pay. Right. So just simple things that you think are table stakes for any other sector. And that's we not sort- a re- regulatory handoff. They just haven't figured out the simple technology solution to do it. Yeah. I mean, I sat down with a few utility executives a few months back and, and asked them point blank why they haven't done it. And they you know, didn't have an answer. They said, oh, we should look into that. But it's that on top of really the core of what we do is the energy services. So our core sort of go-to-market product is a wind energy product where we buy Green E certified current year renewable energy certificates to match your power usage. So nothing new to, to energy nerds, but basically matching RECs to your usage kilowatt hour for kilowatt hour across all 50 states. From there, we've launched a virtual power purchase agreement program. So basically a nationwide community solar program where any customer can subscribe to a panel in a project and actually get savings off their bill from that panel as it produces energy and revenue over 10 to 20 years. We're going to move into on-bill financing, energy brokering. We're getting products into the home. It's, go back to the, the virtual PPA for a second. So if, if I, here in Dominion Power, bought into that, right, and then I, three years from now, move out of Virginia to back to Buffalo, New York, where I grew up, does that transfer with me? Yeah, absolutely. So this is like one of our most exciting products when it comes to just the innovation, I think, and the, the lack of access. So you and I both know to do rooftop solar – you need a lot of things to line up. Totally. You need you need to own your home. You need to want to be there for 20 years. You need to have a south-facing roof, no trees overhead. You need to be able to have the right FICO score to potentially finance it. You have to live in the right just, state. You live in the right state. Yeah, we talk about it for an hour. So that, it's a tough choice to even be able to make. And for the customers that do, it's great. They save a ton of money, and, and it's the right thing to do. But for the other 80% of Americans live in apartments, don't have that right house, like you might move to Buffalo to your, you know, back home. You want that to move with you. You want it to be flexible, but you still want to make the commitment. And so that's the product we created. So it's a lot of taking some of the stuff a lot of the big corporates have done when it comes to their renewable purchasing over the last few years, and also the cooperative utilities who sort of pioneered, I think, a lot of the community solar we see today. But yeah, you can get into the program for as little as one panel, even if you live in an apartment, even if you live in Virginia where there's no solar market, right? and you just simply connect to your local utility account, 
each month as your panel, wherever it lives, let's say it's in DC, produces revenue and energy locally. Our platform takes that in and then shoots it as a bill credit off your bill. And then if you move, for example, to upstate New York, you just, you and know. Who wouldn't want to live in Buffalo? I'm just saying. <laughs> but let's be honest. Or Kentucky, right? Right, or Kentucky. <laughs> you just link your local utility account and we'll start sending savings to your new utility. And so it's really divorcing the actual energy asset on your roof, but rather just connecting it to the thing that it's affecting, which is your power bill and what you pay every month. Yeah, I, you know, I challenge our listeners to go to ArcadiaPower.com and check it out. I mean, I think you'll, one, having done this and played with it a little bit, you, the customer service is great. They'll, they'll engage, they'll, they'll also help answer these questions for you. But one thing I wanted to talk to about, because we're sort of talking about the intersection of energy, innovation, and finance, is really you're building a tech company, right? That's right. So how That's do you right. balance, you know, from a management perspective, building an outward-facing team for sales with the engineers versus the marketing you know, you've got so many different things and verticals you've got to hit on. Could you talk about that sort of management channel? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I tell people the energy stuff's the easy stuff. The energy piece, I mean, if people really peel back the products we're offering customers, I know this is relatively new. On-bill financing's been around for a while. Renewable certificates been around for 20 years. Virtual power purchase agreements. In fact, you know, the Fortune 500's been doing this for a long time. Like I said, some cooperative utilities have done this. We're just sort of making it easy for the customer to access through new tools and channels, which is all digital. And that's really the skill we bring. That's really the power of sort of the platform we're building. So we are a tech company. We provide all the self-service tools. You know, again, going back to what I was saying earlier, this is table stakes across any other sector. You know, basic mobile right. accessibility, payments, you know, someone picks up the phone when you call all the things that you really expect from a modern consumer service. So yeah, we just raised a $6 million Series A. Congratulations. Uh, yeah, we're super excited. It's you know, led by Energy Impact Partners up in New York, who's a fund backed by some of the largest utilities in the country. And we're really trying to scale up our ability to deploy technology to really amplify the experience and the products. So you know, not just, hey, we're going to sell you a solar panel, but you're going to be able to log in, go to your dashboard, see maybe even a live stream of your panel, but then be able to see exactly how much power it produced yesterday versus, you know, last week. And really just give you, make the whole experience really more modern, more accessible, more tangible, which is really tough with energy because very few people understand this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So I think the tech can actually just make it more accessible and make it easier for consumers to latch onto. So I could be talking to you about this all day. This is fascinating. But since we want to keep it limited, I wanted to sort of end, I usually end most of my interviews with the same question, right? If you could, you've established yourself well in your career. I think you've had a really interesting direction in growth, you know, I think as a person and also from a professional perspective. If you could go back and sit down with yourself, whether it be coming out of high school in Kentucky or graduating college, what advice would you give? Look, I have no regrets. You know, I love running this company. I love being in this sector because I think what we're doing in energy is so important for future generations. You know, I would just tell myself to have, you know, not be so serious. <laughs> I think right out of college, like a lot of high achievers wanted to do a lot really quickly and, and sort of enjoy the moment a bit more. But I've latched onto every opportunity that's sort of come my way. And I think that's been a positive thing. So 
made a lot of mistakes too, but you know, really excited about sort of where we are as a company and where we're going to be. That's great. Congratulations. And thank you so much for joining us at Clee Capital's Experts Only Podcast. Thanks, John. I'd like to thank Kieran Batraju for joining us. You can go to ArcadiaPower.com to learn more about the great work they're doing and follow us at CleanCapital.com to continue to learn more about what we're doing at the Experts Only Podcast. If you have any ideas for folks we should be interviewing, please send them our way. And I'd like to thank our producers, Lauren Glickman and Emily Connor for their hard work. Couldn't do this without you. And let you know that we will be back again soon with a future installment and look forward to continuing our conversation.